tea after hours, and of course, if you were there. And uh, more importantly, welcome to Shark Week 4. Um, as regular listeners to the show will know, at the end of every season, we like to do a little bit of an after hours section, uh, just to break up the seasons and allow us to look at films that we otherwise may not get to cover or whose directors haven't got strong enough filmography to justify a whole season worth of re-evaluation but more importantly we also like to work in a shark movie in the, this period and previous episodes have seen us look at the likes of The Shallows and uh, Deep Blue Sea such classic cinema that it is and uh, tonight we're looking at one which is uh, again more recent but um for whatever reason, fell under the radar shortly after its release in 2012, and that is the uh, Kimball Rendell movie, Bait. Um, for those obviously not familiar with the film, it's a Australian uh, shark movie, which in itself is kind of a rarity. And the film itself sees um, a group of shoppers and employers of a supermarket trapped underground uh, with a... Um, a man-eating 12-foot great white shark after a tsunami floods the local area. Certainly one of the more unique concepts for a shark movie, but then again when we look at the current status of shark movies, it's probably not the most random one out there. Um, but Kim, I mean, this was the first time watching yourself. What did you think of Bait? Bait was, I think it's more like it's a really fun, guilty pleasure, but then I usually feel that way about shark movies in general i don't know what makes a you know what's considered a great shark movie i mean i had a lot of fun with this one i thought there was um a lot of you know there was a lot of predictable moments okay like the 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 movie went in a way where you know you kind of had an idea where things are gonna go um but at the same time like i felt like some of the some of the scenes did have its you know, it, it was done well, like, especially, like, in the beginning when they were before, you know, you actually got to see the shark and, you know, the assumptions of how big it is and, you know, you just see things moving and whatnot. Like, the introduction of the shark was really good. I mean, when the original concept was thrown out there, it was thought, oh, my God, that's probably one of the most stupid of ideas out there. And <laughs> then, obviously, since then, we've obviously seen the likes of Sharknado and Sharktopus and Two-Headed Shark Attack and Five-Headed Shark Attack. So... The standard of what's acceptable for shark movies has certainly been lowered, but this was actually a very surprising uh, watch, much like The Shallows, because every yeah. time when you have a shark movie now, you think that it's going to be sort of quick cuts as soon as something interesting happens. There's very ropey-looking CGI sharks, and yes, while there is uh, some questionable CGI sharks in this film, there's also some good practical effects in there as well. Yeah. Um, just looking, obviously, first of all, at the, uh, the production behind this. I mean, this film was written by Russell uh, McCulley, who is probably best known uh, for directing the Highlander movies. And it's also directed by Kimball Rendell, who is a musician and second unit director who's worked on films such as Matrix Reloaded, uh, Revolutions, iRobot, um, and Ghost Rider, just to name a few of his credits. And his work as a as a director though has been you know a little hit and miss he only has currently three films to his credit uh before this he directed the slasher cut in 2000 and guardians of the tomb in 2018 this film coming right in the middle and it's probably arguably his strongest work to date um and uh yeah it's there's something about this this film that i just really really like I and mean, it's a very 
sort of encapsulated sort of setup. We have two locations essentially. We have the mm-hmm. the shop floor, which is uh, pretty much submerged in water, so the only dry land is on top of the shelves. And we also have the parking garage, where we have a, another group of characters who have to sort of uh, battle to deal with their situation, and they're a shark as well. So, I mean, first of all, I mean, obviously, I have to say, how did you find this like location? I mean, we obviously. The film itself obviously likes to throw in a big shark, which is obviously in this case a 12-foot great white. And for myself, it seems like a very cramped location to put a 12-foot great white in. But at the same time, I love the visualness of the the location and sort of the almost cost of it because they have yeah. things around them that they can use um, to assist the sort of cause. But at the same time, it's uh, it's very sort of limited uh, sort of space of where they can go. You know, good good shark movies. You know, you know know how to really utilize that limited space because most shark movies or pretty much any creature features is set in some kind of like confined location most of the time. And shark movies work the best with these confined locations because they have you know these big sharks which are you know dominating an area where it's also restricted for them and 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 you know you have like limited access so it kind of gives that. You know, it's like you said, it's it's claustrophobic, so you have that kind of like what they can do, like what that shark can do. In this case, you know, obviously the shark does a lot of jumping. <laughs> you know, at the same time, I I kind of like you know what really works here is I think that you know you have two locations and the both of them has those you know urgent moments and they work with their scenario fairly well because you know like obviously in the shop or whatever electricity becomes a big deal when things are you know coming apart and. You know, with a giant, you know, conductor right below, right below you, it's kind of dangerous. And you have these like little moments like that where you need to do all these things, and they they need to use everything around them to kind of get them out of the situation. And a lot of them is used really cleverly. And I and and I think that's one of the things I really appreciate. I think it's maybe not like you kind of also give your characters kind of like that thing where they need to set them up for some kind of, you know, sacrifice or set them up for um, some kind of, you know, life-threatening situation or whatnot. And sometimes, you know, you think about it and you're like, in these dire situations, you're sitting as the audience and, you know, there are some scenes where we're like, oh, wow, they should have thought about that. But then you're like, it's it, it's kind of like, well, it makes sense, I guess, if you were in this type of situation and you kind of want to think, well, if I'm not going to make it out, I might not make it out of this anyways. I might as well just give it a you know give it a shot even no matter how dangerous it is or not thought through it is uh yeah definitely and i mean i just want to uh, talk about the cast we have here well on the surface it seems that a lot of this cast are pretty much unknowns i mean the most noteworthy member of the cast looking at the list is uh julian mcmahon who was I mean, for me, I mean, I, I've seen the main girl in uh, Step Up 3, and I've seen her in some other movie that I can't remember right now, but I remembered seeing it before. Wait, let me see. The fact she's in um, Step Up 3 is the reason I don't remember her being anything, because I pretty much eradicate that. Yeah, no, and then she was in Your Next, which which is, uh, you know, the, the movie oh, yeah, she did so. before this one. Yeah, she was in Your Next. Um, and, um, I mean, there's also Phoebe Tonkin, who... Uh, plays the plays the you know the daughter of the security guard or whatever or the cop i don't remember if he's a security guard or cop and then and she was in uh she was in vampire diaries for a while and then she you know 
they, she was part of the spinoff and the originals, which I didn't watch, but I know she was there. And then she's in a bunch of other stuff, too. She's in, a, like, random other things, like, uh, I think she was in some other horror movies, too. I don't remember anymore right now. It's interesting, obviously, when you look at the, uh, when you, as I said, when you start going for the cast, I mean, you go, yeah, you've got our main league guy, uh, Xavier Samuel, who was in Love Ones. And mm-hmm. uh, he was, yeah, he was also in Twilight, which is, again, you'd be forgiven for forgetting that. So uh, a lot of people who <laughs> are in um, Home and Away, it has to be said as well. you got uh, Lincoln Hayden Higgs Lewis, who was mm-hmm. in uh, Tomorrow When the War Began, which, again, is a really great movie, which, for whatever reason, fell under the radar. It's kind of like uh, Red Dawn. Yeah, I mean, it was kind of interesting to see that man there, mainly because, as I said, he was... He had his uh, sort of big break. He was doing like Nip Tuck in the States. He did the Fantastic Four movies playing uh, Doctor Doom or Victor Doom. I can't remember what which way they went with those uh, those movies. And um, now he's obviously doing The Runaways as well. So he's really loves his super products. But it was, I mean, it's really great to see him in here. But it was kind of bizarre at the same time when you get used to him doing an American accent to suddenly do his normal Australian accent. I think that that applies to a lot of them. Like, I, I was I was really surprised because I never knew that Phoebe Tonkin was Australian until she did this movie. <laughs> I guess before, you know, a lot of actors, you know, once they move to other places, they keep, you know, they, they do their American accent most of the time. And then they, and then they don't, and then you, you forget that they're, you know, they can possibly from, be from somewhere else unless you really look them up on IMDb or whatever, right? Yeah, exactly, and I mean, while the cast might not be instantly recognisable, I did think that all of them were good in their various sort of parts. I mean, there's no sort of real sort of standout uh, person sort of stealing the scenery. I mean, obviously, it's yeah, it's 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 actually one of the surprising factors because you know you start off this movie, and I have to say, you know, the starting part, building that drama and that whole situation about, you know, losing a friend and, and whatever and and then setting it up where, you know, it breaks his, you know, the main, the male lead's re- relationship and whatnot. It kind of like, at that point, I was a bit skeptical. I'm not going to lie. That first part, <laughs> setting up these characters, I was really skeptical. I was like, oh, God, what am I doing? This, this is going to be bad, you know. And then, and then, you know, when they actually have that, the you know the the actual movie starts and you start seeing you know these people get together and then that tsunami hits very quickly and then they just you know you spend you know like eighty percent of the movie in this situation and it really changes the dynamic of the movie in general and and a part of me hoped that it didn't start off that way because yeah. it would have it would have been so like I I don't really know if it was really necessary to have to set up your characters to be in that kind of situation. Like, the char- it wasn't like, you know, it wasn't like, you know, because they had so many characters, it wasn't like anybody did something more than other people. Maybe, like, the the, the three caught under in, in the garage was maybe had a lot more, you know, things to do <laughs> because they only were three people in one location. I mean, I would say, say it is important to obviously establish that Josh, our main guy, was formerly a lifeguard before... His best friend yeah. gets killed, and obviously his his fiance's it, brother. You know, it gives him that power to have you know the know hows of this water and sharks, and you know being able to determine all these things because because he has the know how, and now he's not working as a lifeguard anymore. 
No, because we obviously have the initial shark attack happens. And again, this is the problem with the film being initially released in 3D. There's a lot of stuff that is there just to play up 3D effects. And because it's been transferred back into 2D, it really sort of stands out now as which bits were uh, formerly 3D. So when you have like the shark jump out of the water or you have something thrown at the screen, it's like really obvious what was meant to have been in 3D. Um, this isn't like a polished 3D production like, you know, Avatar or, dare we say it, Life of Pi. Um, but yeah, I mean, it, I thought it was important, obviously, to to set it up, set up their relationship. I mean, yeah, we joined him a year later after Shark Attack. He's now working in the supermarket. And it basically just means that we got, it gives them the ability to write off any sort of skills that he needs. Although... Why, he, for the love of God, he feels that you need to remove a shard of metal that's gone through somebody's leg, I don't know, which is just like, I was watching that going, oh my God, that's such a, a neddy no-no right there. <laughs> I mean, he... But I guess, I mean, I mean, I mean, I guess it was really just, it kind of like builds the gory parts and it kind of gives that, you know, that, the elements you kind of need, I guess, but at the same time... Maybe it's a good choice, bad choice, whatever. It didn't really end up playing that big of a factor, other than you know, at one point when you know he keeps wanting to, guy keep wanting to go into the water. So that's that's one of your bigger issues. Um, but I mean, in general, I think the characters were done good. Uh, like everybody kind of played their part, and you know whether they ended up coming out of this, you know, alive or dead or whatever. It. I think it was just because there were so many of them that. It just felt like you could lose a few more or you could, like, no one really had that, you know, standout moment or, or anything. You know, obviously, you know, you're giving, you know, the main character, Josh, a whole lot more to do because he's kind of, like, running around. Then he has that final, you know, saving moment where, you know, he gets <laughs> and, and all that stuff. But, um I think everything was fairly balanced. Um, I Like, no one stands out to me particularly a lot. And obviously, you know, they have one part where they're like, oh, they're trying to trick you into, like, you know, the whole situation where they had that whole robbery going down and the partner and, you know, fake out and all that stuff. They, they, they try to add a lot of, I guess, um, little dilemmas and little dramas between the characters to kind of keep it going. And I'm and a lot of times I I always wonder when I watch shark movies whether whether adding so much of this is really necessary because you're about to die already. You're facing against a twelve foot shark and you might not get out of here. So in this case, should most people just put aside all those you know other things they're dealing with? Yeah, I mean it's the problem with the the film is I mean you know, you get all these characters, they all seem to be interlinked in one way or another. And yeah. they're very sort of paperly, paper thin sort of drawn out in like sort of characters. I mean, yes, you've got like the shoplifting chick who's dating the store assistant whose dad's a cop. And, you know, it's we've got the, the minor drama of her sort of lashing out because she's unable to deal with her mother's death. At the same time, we've got Josh who's... Um, former fiance Tina has returned but she's got a new boyfriend and it's always funny when you have like the old love turns up with their new partner because you know it's only going to go one of two ways uh, one the new partner is going to get eliminated in some way or two they're going to find some way to work it out because he'll find a new love interest in someone who's always been there but he's not noticed because he's been hung up on the old girl so I felt uh, kind of bad that 
for the uh, the boyfriend coming in going, yeah, you're, you're probably not going to make it to the end of this picture. Um, although he does get probably one of the most bizarre, most random, unexpected deaths of the film, it has to be said. Yeah, well, that was that was really, you know, that was one of the parts where, you know, it was it was kind of like it was very unique the way they did that yeah. whole part and a little unbelievable in certain ways. But at the same time, like it, it also gave him that, you know, <laughs> that sacrifice, right? That hero moment. Yeah, he couldn't really be the hero, but he he could be a hero in this moment where he was able to, you know, sacrifice himself for whatever they needed to achieve. His um, his short sightedness to realize the flaw in the amazing uh, homemade shark suit plan. Yeah, I know. And speaking of, I mean, we're obviously while we're talking about characters snuffing it, did we have a favorite death here in the film? Because that's always a highlight of shark movies. Is like giving us some creative deaths here and there. I would say that that one was pretty good, but I think like one of the shocking moments, which. Wasn't really that shocking because you expected it. Yeah, was kind of like the whole hanging from the vent and then getting bitten in half. Oh yeah, the, moment. The store manager. I really that's my favorite one. Yeah, but but you know the thing is the the director is really good in this sense because he doesn't really need to use a lot of the shark underwater, mm. but more like he has that overview moment. It's kind of like when we watch the Meg where we see like the shadow of the shark a lot and you see where the shark is through the shadows that you see. Yeah. And I think that that's really clever because then, you know, you kind of have to minimize the, the you know, your your lack of budget and your and, and crappy CGI or whatever. And you can still make something very suspenseful because now you get an idea where the shark is and the people have an idea where the shark is. And it's kind of like their perspective of what's going on, right? So, you know, I thought that was pretty unique. I mean, you kind of expect it to happen. Like, that death scene was really kind of a shock but at the same time you kind of expected it to happen so i don't know i mean i felt like i called a lot of the death scenes so now i'm like i don't know i can't remember exactly what's my favorite one do you have a favorite one the manager hanging off the venting game bit and half is pretty pretty great yeah especially because you don't expect it from this film and even though there was like the precursors when we have the tsunami sequence and we have people being like crushed between shelves or we have that uh Spinning blade to the head, which was pretty cool as well. Um, yeah, 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 yeah. I yeah. should have got the formal one that yeah, we are going to get some actual gore in this movie. So when that that scene happened, um, so the first time I saw it, it was pretty shocking to see just how gory they went with that sequence. So, mm. but um, I think it was a payoff, especially because the guy was a jerk. <laughs> so he deserves like the most the worst death of the film. So. <laughs> Yeah, no, it, it it was you know it was really um, it was really something. I mean, <laughs> but then I mean they I think like a lot of them were I think a lot of people that we lost in the movie, well, uh, other than the boyfriend, yeah. was was yeah, like they deserve to die. I would say the majority of them deserve to die. Other than you know the starting people who are like, oh, now we have a shark in the water, you know. <laughs> uh, but you know, there, there's a few people that you know they kind of get caught up in their own plan, and then they they you know they try to have that hero moment, and because they're it's like the world that it's like karma hits them, <laughs> or like the writers are like, oh, this is your karma. Um, <laughs> yeah, and obviously we have the the token psychopath with Kirby. Um, yeah, exactly. Who's who's the other bank robber? Which I thought the whole the whole um, sort of like. 
the bit where they tried to like make you think that the uh, the second bank robber uh, died in the yeah that's what I was saying was... like the fake out before right? I know but it, it was wasn't the most the best fake out because you kind of knew that as soon as he turned up that oh he's the other guy just that we've uh, not been able to see the whole time I think the most frustrating part about about him is that what he got over um, the other of a Doyle because Doyle says yeah. he's only doing the bank robbery so he can get his brother off. And then they never really explain what happened with that situation. It's just like the tsunami hits and then it's just completely washed away with everything else. It's like, oh, I guess we're not going to find out what the big thing that uh, Dawes' brother did. Yeah, but that's the thing is, you know, but that that's exactly what I'm saying is that like this situation is kind of like doesn't really matter anymore because you don't even know if you're going to get out of this crap, right? You're, you're stuck in the supermarket with a shark. And then no one knows that they're getting out. Every single plan they have is just kind of like, well, this is, you know, the best idea out of, like, the worst ideas, you know? Yeah. This is the best out of bad ideas kind of thing. Let's just try this out and see if it works, right? And and it's just, it's just kind of amazing because I, I kind of really like the fact that in shark movies, we rarely have so many survivors. And this one is because they started out with such a big cast that they... And they just had the ability to have so many people come out of this alive. Yeah. And then, I, and then I really like the fact that, you know, I always like movies where they kind of fake you out. They think that, you know, they're going to sacrifice the dog and then the dog always makes it out. Oh, that has to be like the, one of the biggest asshole moments of the film was when, um, when, when Kyle throws the dog. <laughs> and, then, and then it kind of makes it because, you know, they had that argument about be him being a monster and then Kyle dies right in the next scene. Yeah. So you're kind of like... You're like, you're like, you know, this it's just like, you kind of deserved it. Well, we also had the scene in the Meg with a little foo-foo dog as well, didn't we? So I don't know what it is about sharks and small, sharks and small dogs in these movies, but they really love to include yeah, that. but I mean sharks, and then, you know, you have, you know, recently we had Crawl, which had the same thing, which had the dog also, and, you know, movies like this always like to have some kind of pet, and then it adds to the <laughs> equation, but then they all, it's always like that fake-out moment where you think they die, and then they don't. Now, for the filming of... The filming, they used three animatronic sharks, and because uh, Render wanted to avoid using computer-generated image, uh, but mm-hmm. at the same time, the... <laughs> The budget meant that they had to use uh, CGI shucks just um, to sort of balance it all out. So, I mean, I appreciate the fact there is some practical effects in here. I think it always adds to the film. And certainly if it had been another CGI shark fest, then it probably would have really not had the, not as been as uh, effective as the film actually is. Even though I do feel that in terms of plotting, it does kind of sag towards the end. Yeah. Um, it... It, it seemed like it was missing something. I think we just become too comfortable in the situation. There's not enough continuous threat that we have in, obviously, in the first half of the situation. They all seem to be pretty adapted rather quickly to the situation, whether they're upstairs in the store or they're downstairs in the uh, in the garage. So, but uh, that being said, I mean it was an enjoyable watch while it lasts. It's sort of those one of those one and done sort of situations. Well, you know, I mean, to be fair, I wouldn't mind watching this every once in a while. Um, it's not like, you know, fantastic movies like, you know, I would watch, you know, The Meg or Deep Blue Sea or something, you know, in a heartbeat. Yeah. Um, you know, Bait lacks that kind of appeal a little because, you know, like you said, there's some plotting issues and then there's some 
a little bit too many tangents for my liking. <laughs> like, a little bit too much drama that's going on between these characters that feel like it's unnecessary to happen. Yeah. Like, I hate it when... I Call me, like, a crazy person, but... I love romance movies, but I hate it when people have, like, some, some like, oh, well, let's just kiss this moment. It's, like, not the right time. It was totally okay? undeserved, wasn't it, that that, uh, that reconnection moment. It's all like, why are, we, why are we having this moment now? Yeah, and, it, and it's just because all movies do that. They have that either it's, like, some makeup moment between a father and the child or, it's, or a parent with a child or, or whether it's, like, you know some relationship like this that broke and then now it's like oh i'm gonna face my death let's have one last kiss in case anything happens you know and i'm all for it in any other movie except for creature features it's like my biggest pet peeve like i hate it i just think a lot of times it's so ridiculous to have it because it's not like you know the movie spent a lot of time telling us about these two characters they kind of just stared at each other a lot yeah, they don't so really have a lot exactly of connection. Like, to you know, they sorted things out. The only thing, the only person who sorted it out was Tina's current boyfriend, who told him about the situation. They didn't sort anything else between them. You know, they only were like, "Oh, you shouldn't feel sorry about it." You know, yeah, I don't blame you for anything. And then it's just kind of like the makeup moment was like five minutes of the movie, and then it was like, "Yeah, let's have this kiss." <laughs> So, yeah, no, I mean, that's that. I mean, considering that's, you know, maybe the biggest issue I have with the movie. I mean, it's not a bad movie in that sense. Like it, it's it's as a shark movie, all the shark bits are done. Like it, it's very enjoyable, even like the crappy CGI moment sets in there. Like it's still it's still done in a good way, like with, you know, the focus of it being underwater. Yeah. And, you know, there's a bit of tension that's going on and. You have a, enough people falling into the water and scrambling to get out. And, and you know, the two locations gives, like, some kind of divi division between the two areas. So there's a good balance between the two because there are two sharks that are, you know, obviously hunt, haunting these two places. And, you know, when the two scenes end up connecting together, uh, where, you know, the, the people from the top are trying to save the people from the bottom or whatever, then... It kind of changes the 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 movie dynamic a little bit more because it gives it something to be you know more something to be excited about I guess yeah so it kind of keeps the the movie keeps keeps on keeps on going like there's always something happening so it's it's paced fairly well I just feel you know that like my biggest issue is with all the you know stupid drama that goes on but yeah other than that I think I think it's a it's a fairly competent movie like I mean I heard I heard good things about this movie when it first came out and that was one of the reasons why I've always wanted to watch it but never had a chance to and you know watching the movie it definitely kind of exceeded my expectations especially when you're looking at like the DVD cover and stuff and then like their description of the movie is just like this sounds like a really bad b-horror <laughs> and then it and then it kind of like exceeds your expectations. Yeah. Cool. Um, there was originally a sequel planned for the film called Dark Water. Um, sorry, Deep Water, um, which was focused on a plane en route from China to Australia, crashing in the Pacific Ocean, and it was suspended in March 2014 due to uncomfortable similarities to the disappearance of Malaysia Airlines Flight 370. So, would you have liked to have seen a sequel to Bait? Maybe not as a airplane falling out of the sky, 
But, like, another sequel, sure. I mean, I'm always down for shark movies, um, you know, within reasonable, you know, time frame for a sequel. Like, not like, you know, Deep Blue Sea 2, which came, like, you know, 17 years after the original or something. Yeah. Um, and they was just the same movie, which seemed more stupid. Yeah. Pretty much. It was just the same movie with a different thing they needed to fix the cure and, you know. Yeah. Instead of a uh, great white, you know, whatever shark you have, you have like bull sharks and, you know. So, it, yeah. I don't want to talk about the Blue Sea 2 right now. I mean, we could do that for a bad Shark Week movie if we want one day. Um, just for you know, the purpose of completing the whole Deep Blue Sea thing that we had. <laughs> I'm about to say the number of good Shark movies left on the list is quickly dwindling, it has to be said. <laughs> it's only downhill from here. Uh, well, we have we have a few in our back pocket, which 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 is okay, which is okay. Well, but you know, we still have a few seasons to go. We don't know. I mean, we'll we'll we'll, we'll work this out. <laughs> yeah, it's not like we even have the excuse of oh well, there's not many left. We can switch like species and do like some crocodile movies or giant squid or something like that because there's just so many shark movies. Um, and the Asylum keeps making them, which is even worse. As you can have things. Like- I've already, I've already stopped watching Asylum movies. Like I used to be like super big on Asylum movies, and like especially like the shark ones. And I watched like you know the three headed shark, two headed shark attack or something like that. And I don't know. At one point, I just stopped watching. <laughs> it was just, it just felt like. I can't do this anymore. Like I still like Sharknado, but I still I haven't watched like the fourth or the fifth. Oh, you got further um, than I did. I watched the first two, and I was like, "I'm done with this." <laughs> no, I, I, I like the guilty pleasure that's in these movies, but the third one was kind of like a real low point for me. There was a lot of like it was just you know like the first two were so bad it was good, and then the third one was just so bad it's really bad and then and then i was just like i don't know about the fourth and the fifth you know like i don't really know if i want to do this right now and i wanted to watch it and then it left netflix and then now i'm just like well i'm not dishing up money for it so unless it goes back on netflix i'm not gonna watch it you know kind of deal oh, about to say they're always on the sci-fi channel one day or another so i mean that's that's the thing there's they're just producing content for sci-fi who always seem to just be like showing these damn shark movies and they're just getting stupider like i think there's one like exorcist shark or something or ouija shark or oh there's other. i mean there is an endless amount like if you if you have a shark movie idea it's probably been done at one point or another you know like as ridiculous as it all sounds it's it's going to have been done from Asylum or from some other whatever B-horror thing that's going on, which is which is really crazy because, you know, I think that shark movies have a lot of potential. Obviously, I'd like to see other big creatures have their, you know, time. Like, you know, like I we, like I, did, I talked about in, you know, Friday, Friday Film Club about Crawl. You know, like it's great to see that people are making other creature features and yeah. not just sharks because, you know. Sharks is overdone now at this point, and mostly thanks to Asylum making all these garbage viewers. <laughs> that you know, there's there's not really you know, it's just so hard to find a good shark movie now. It's you go into a shark movie and you kind of expect the worst, yeah, and you wonder what else can be done, and then you know you get movies where potentially you know like bait or something which seems bad and then it turns out to be good and and that's one of the reasons why you know a lot of times i like to go watch b horrors and stuff like that because 
sometimes you give a you give a chance to something that's bad, maybe it'll be good. It'll be surprisingly good. And but you know, obviously, we all know that you know as film buffs and just you know film connoisseurs that good movies and great movies are you know like just amazing movies are hard to come across in general and not just in you know the shark category do you think that the fact that the shark genre has been so saturated with bad shark movies that it elevates anything slightly good so that we view bait in a slightly better light than we would do if these movies weren't so frequent because as it is i don't think so i don't think so i think that i think that it's more the fact that People are very divided when it comes to, you know, shark movies or creature features in general. And people who really like creature features, like maybe me and you, um, compared to someone who doesn't really care for that type of horror movie or that kind of, like, thriller film, they're going to be nitpicking on different things. Like, I haven't watched, like, honestly, recently, I've been watching mostly decent shark movies. I haven't watched a bad shark movie, like, other than Deep Blue Sea 2. Yeah. And, and you know when you're and and it doesn't make me feel like because when I look at bait I'm not looking at it in a sense that oh maybe it's a bad movie and it exceeded my expectations it's more like the little things that it does that really kind of elevates it to being a, a good shark movie and and it's like I said you know obviously you know how the camera plays with you know where the shark is and and just like the little movements that it does and you know knowing when to kind of hide the shark and not always giving it you know like the camera and the CGI, and just trying to play with those things. And, you know, knowing how to do that is one of those, like, really great moments in uh, any horror movie or any creature feature. And and sometimes it's, it's greater than, you know, showing the shark than expecting it to come out of nowhere kind of thing. Further viewing, what would you pair this film with? I feel like I'm going in the same like whenever we do shark films I always do the same kind of further viewing and I feel like and I don't remember what I've done before so and I didn't make the effort to go look at what I've done before so I might have talked about these before as further viewing but I'd say like in a closed space I would say 47 meters down okay that's the name of the movie right yeah, yeah. and then <laughs> um if we have another Australian shark movie which I probably refer to this one like the other two also and that's the reef which is a phenomenal one it's in an open sea it's not in a closed space, but it is very, very, like, tense as an Australian movie. Like, another very, very competent um, shark movie. One that I think, this, this one is actually, I think, better than Bait. But it is, as an Australian mo- shark movie, it is very, very strong. It's surprising that we don't see more creature features from Australia. And I think I can only assume it's because, you know, when you live in a country where pretty much everything can kill you, that uh, <laughs> they're not so much a draw to uh, make like shark movies and and deadly creature movies, and that's why we see like a lot of more sort of, like slashers and zombie movies and uh, anything that they can work a good car chase into, because the Aussies do really love a good car chase, and it's <laughs> like you have like these family uh, family dramas like Frog Dreaming and uh, these coming of age dramas, and they have this random car chase sequence in it, so. <laughs> well, I mean, even when they did, like, the Wolf Creek TV series, it was, like, the girls, like, driving across Australia, you know, so yeah. it's, <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah, because um, then... when you, I mean, yeah, in Wolf Creek, you had that whole ch- random chase sequence, because, of course, he just happens to have a bloody muscle car in the middle of the outback. <laughs> <laughs> that makes sense. <laughs> okay. 
Yeah, and then, I mean, other than that, I, I, I actually thought that I felt a little bit, although it's a much, much worse movie in my mind, um, and I don't remember much of this movie anymore, but another shark movie that's kind of, like, links to kind of, like, the teenage, like, kind of like, a, I don't know, adolescent drama? Yeah. I don't know. not Young adult drama, I guess that's what you should call it, is kind of like Shark Night. It's a, such a bad movie, but <laughs> it is... It is. It does try to be clever. It does try very hard, but it doesn't quite get there. That keeps. I think in that sense, like I don't know, that might be a shark movie that people might want to watch with this. I don't know. I'm just trying to think of something that's not movies that I've referred to before. It's funny how many times Shark Night I've come I've come so close to recommending that we do it, and I think it's just only for the whole scene where they where you have the drive to the lake and you get to watch the whole drive because they need to pad <laughs> the movie out so badly. I know. <laughs> the, the movie, that movie was, uh, I don't I don't remember, like, the majority of it. I remember to try to have some kind of, like, clever twist of, like, who's responsible for this whole thing and whatever. And, and I was just, like, I think it's coming back to me now as we're talking about it. Okay. Um, but I think, like, you know, when you talk about kind of, like, having that kind of, like, drama and, you know, teenage partying and sharks coming there and whatnot. I mean, Shark Night is alright. It's 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 alright. Another 3D shark film as well. I know! Yeah. Don't make it any better, but I'm just saying that... If you... Yeah, but hey, it's a good pairing. You know, two 3D movies changed to 2D. <laughs> um, I remember the horror movie at the, um, over at Horror Movie a Day that he, he, said, he wrote that he'd, like, Spent most of the day trying to find a 3D showing of uh, Bait when it came out, so... Mm. There are its fans out there. Um, for myself, I'm going in a very sort of randomist direction, and I'm going to say John Carpenter's 1976 film Assault on Precinct 13. Uh, the reason being that it's a similar idea of having the siege and you got the, the law enforcement officer forced to team up with the criminal element to sort of uh, unite to a cause in this film you've got the um, police officer played by um, Austin Stoker who is help assisting with the closing of uh, the title of the Precinct 13 only to find it under siege by a relentless criminal gang and forcing him to team up with the convicted uh, murderer played by uh, Darwin Jostin and the uh, two forced to like defend the precinct that it comes under siege by this uh, street gang I've just uh, as I said when I we obviously had uh, Jim McMahon's sort of criminal character there and he's sort of like the cult forced to put his uh, duty aside to sort of team up together it just made me constantly think back to like wow I could watch Assault on 13 Assault on Precinct 13 and uh, have <laughs> a similar sort of experience here apart from it being better um, but yeah that's the one I would I would recommend with this one. So, Good. cool. Good. Um, well, that brings us to the end of uh, another episode and uh, wrapping up uh, another edition of our Shark Night. Obviously, on the next uh, episode, we are still in our after hours uh, specials, and uh, it's Kim's turn to pick first. And Kim, what are you going to have us watch? I'm going to have us watch uh, the 2019's First Love, uh, Takashi, Takashi Miike's yeah. uh, movie. It's a action crime drama, so it's it's going to be a fun time. 
Definitely excited to see this one. Takashi Miike, a director with only a mere over 100 directorial credits to his name. Um, an absolute cult figure within Japanese cinema and one of the directors responsible for reviving interest in Asian cinema in the early 2000s with the release of Audition and most of his filmography as it was filtered over. And since uh, then, he's obviously begun to become a much more mainstream director. So... With uh, First Love, it's one I've been really excited to see, much like any time we get a new Mike movie, but uh, this one came out on Valentine's Day, so if you if you took your partner to see uh, see this movie on Valentine's Day, I'd really love to hear how that one went, so. <laughs> yeah, and I mean, it's it's great to do a Takashi Mike movie, too, because, you know, like you said, he has 100 credits, he's never going to make it on our seasons, because we'd have to do, like, 10 <laughs> seasons to cover all his movies. So <laughs> maybe we'll trickle a few into these after hours over, you know, over time. Yeah, cool. Um, but that's obviously coming up on our next episode. If uh, you want to obviously check out our archive, you can do. Uh, we are on moviesandteapodcast.wordpress.com. And wherever you happen to be listening to us, please do hit the like and subscribe button if you're listening to us on Anchor or Podomatic or iTunes or Google Play or Spotify. It really does uh, help raise the profile of the show. Much like leaving us a review. Let us know what you think of the show. And um, certainly films you think we should be checking out. Or even directors who uh, whose filmographies you feel deserve to be re-evaluated over the course of a season. We always love to hear from you guys. Um, you can also follow us on Facebook and Twitter. And we're also on Instagram as well. So uh, plenty of places to come and interact with us as well. But uh, thank you as always to my co-host Kim and thank you everyone for listening and we will be back next time talking about Takashi Miike's first love. Good night.